Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ripstop on the Record. I'm Jameson. And I'm Avery. And I'm Heath. New voice on the episode, if you haven't recognized, it's not Carter or Isaac. So uh, today we have Heath Jackson. Welcome to the podcast. We're going to be talking about sewing machines. I don't want to give too much away yet because I don't actually know what you're going to say yet either to some extent. So we'll get to the good part. But uh, Heath, tell us a little about who you are and why you're on the pod today. Yeah, I appreciate that. First of all, you're going to miss Carter and Isaac by the time we're done here. So um, <laughs> that's one thing. <laughs> So my name is Heath Jackson, and um, I have a family of five and seven, if you include my two dogs, and we are an outdoor camping, hiking family. We visit national parks every time that we get away, and it that uses a lot of gear, right? So we find ourselves in gear questions all of the time, from my daughter trying to figure out what clothes to me figuring out what tents and um, Grand Canyon, less weight car camping, more weight. It's, we've always gone through those decisions and that's what got me started here. I'm a boy scout leader. I'm a, I'm a baseball coach. So everywhere I turn, it's, it's that same decision. So you've mentioned a couple different areas already. And the question I want, or I was going to ask the ones written down is what kind of gear do you make? But that might be a little bit too broad. Could you give us maybe (laughs) some, uh, a few things that you do make and, and maybe we'll touch on more of it later. Yeah, I would say if if I looked at it in categories, I would say my biggest projects um, is is the coffin. The coffin is my first attempt at a um, very lightweight South Texas type of tent. So it's a bivy bag, but it's square, had no skills at the time, but I still use it to this day. Um, All the way down to my family says, hey, dad, can you? Right. That's that's a different category. So. Most recently, it was a chalk bag for my son who's uh, into rock climbing right now. I don't like to admit it, but a lot of times it's hemming jeans or um, skirts. Uh, when you're, when you're, the women in your life realize that you can alter clothing, it makes it easier for them to shop more. Uh, so it, it goes all spectrums. Uh, some of my favorite ones uh, is an is a outdoor quilt which I'd love to say is my camping go-to. It is, but it's also, it travels with us to baseball games and track meets, and it's kind of the goes-everywhere quilt. Um, uh, Bags for everything. I look at it as, I can build this bag. What would I put in this bag when I'm done, as opposed to, hey, here's something that needs a bag. So we've got a lot of those around the house. It's really exciting to hear that from you. It definitely speaks volumes. Uh, we were scrolling through your Instagram page earlier and just looking at some of your projects. And uh, I think Jameson said to the effect, and I don't want to take this out of Jameson's mouth, but you're just a like all around MYOG. Your projects vary from like, everything that you just said, but really love your little Boy Scout troop camp wear set with the canvas you made. Um, and there's definitely just such an array and a variety 
of projects that you seem to have tackled. So uh, in that NYOG spirit, can you tell us about how you got into restoring sewing machines? Because that's what we're here for today. I've always (laughs) been a hands-on person. I grew up on a farm and ranch. And while my goal was to get away from that, I went into um, a professional field, financial services, financial advisory. And now I'm a consultant for business and growth for financial advisory firms. So it's a lot of mind on and a lot of talking, but I still have that desire to use my hands to, to build something. And I, I have an engineering side of my mind, but it didn't start with machines. It started with wanting to buy a really light tent and finding a site. I, I think you'll know exactly which one I'm pointing to, but it was, um, it was something called Dyneema or Cuban fiber or one of the two, you know, or what's DSM? I I have no idea, but I see tents that are a thousand dollars and they look very simple. And I had the really bad idea of I could make that. And so I'm telling my wife that and she says, we'll do it. I go, well, I will. Okay. Now what, where do I find the stuff? What is the stuff? And what do I make it with? And how do I learn how to use that thing? So I went through um, three heavy duty machines from wherever, I think um, Walmart or other. And they said heavy duty on them. They were not. I ended up breaking a few of them. And I I ended up with with a brother machine. That's only important because of who I called. I called the technical help line and said, what do I do with this? And he said, throw it away. I went, well, that's not really good advice. Um, Turns out it was the best advice I ever got. But I said, so what do I do? And he said, look at Craigslist, look at fill in the blank and find something that's made out of metal. I had no idea what that meant because I had no idea what was inside the machines that I owned. But it turns out it was the best advice I ever got because then I found machines that were made the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, all the way up to today, and love just looking inside and seeing what made them tick and and what made them good at what they do. So it just turned into a hobby that was only because I wanted to make a tent. So I got to ask the first follow-up question, which is, how did that tent turn out? <laughs> well, if you were looking at the tent, you would say not very well, not very good. <laughs> Um, but if you look at this last, uh, two weeks ago, we went camping as a boy scout troop and I set it up. Um, it takes a long time because I'm always trying new rigging methods for it, but it worked very well. I stayed warm and 27 degrees. Doesn't sound like much for where you guys are at, but in South Texas, 27 is cold. Um, so it worked out very well. Kept all the bugs off of me. It kept, uh, uh, I was able to keep the wind out. And so it worked well. That's awesome. I mean, that that's impressive. And it, um, a little tangent here. I always love hearing about the story that gets people going into NYOG. Um, we, you know, we have a lot of kits and we kind of have in the office, we talk about kind of the customer's journey and how we want to help aid them through the journey. And those often include things like kits or, uh, CPP kits and wallet kits 
which are awesome, but they're not really the things that inspire people to start making their own gear. It's normally something fairly outrageous, <laughs> like a yeah. tent or a backpack that someone's like, I really need to make this. And, you know, <clears throat> it's really cool. Uh, and also it's, it's so, it's fun to watch, but it can be so intimidating on some sides. Like now that you know how hard it is to make a tent Heath, you're probably like, I would never encourage somebody to start out with that. But also what, whatever gets you going is a thing that's going to help you out the most at the same time. But it's always funny. Cause like I hear about making a tent and I've made a lot of stuff now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that sounds so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, my response to that would be there's three categories of what you're doing whenever you put a project together. One is design engineering, right? All of the, all of the thought process and how you're going to do it. Two is the making it. And really three comes down to maintaining your equipment. So I think today is all about that third one, but my advice to someone would be, you're welcome to do both, right? Go make something big and audacious. If you want that to be your first thing, but don't make it out of Dyneema. Don't don't use don't use challenge cloth for for that, right? Start with something that you're okay messing up on, and get a good seam ripper because <laughs> if you sow, you shall reap, right? I mean, you shall, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You you will be doing that. But I would advise people, even if if even if it's not applicable to you, go figure out how somebody else has built something. Go let them teach you exactly the steps to take and going through it. And then make your evaluation at the end on if you're ready ready to take on a bigger project. Something I can already tell that you are really good at is kind of giving a foundation to things that we're often thinking. And that is part of why we're here today. Because I want to ask you about the sewing machine scoring system that you've developed. <laughs> so uh, let's start at the beginning, wherever that is. But I guess what is the machine scoring system? Yeah, yeah, it's that's tough. Um, I'll start with with why I did it, right? Um, why is what is a vintage sewing machine? And and I think when when we talked about this, we took it as specific as a first machine. So most of what I'm covering is going to be on you, you're getting started, and you're trying to find the machine that you want to use to build that thing, right? I would start with that. What is the machine for you? And we'll go through some of you know what those look like. What are those features? What are but the scoring system was all about being able to compare machines for what you need them for. And to do that, you had to really come up with what are the categories for what I would use to evaluate a machine. So that it's it's difficult because everyone's got an opinion. If you look for what is the best vintage sewing machine, you'll you'll get thousands of different um, websites you'll get there's a community on facebook for vintage sewing machines that has several hundred thousand people in it so this is a big market of people trying to figure out what should i get what's this thing worth and how do i use it right those are all those are the questions that everybody's asking but then i had to make some uh, i had to i had to wind it down a little bit so what i went with was i'm just looking at domestic machines i'm looking at a few different criteria and we can go through that and it comes down to the six categories um, and I'll give you mine this doesn't mean that it's everybody's like I said everybody's got an opinion I've got my opinion um, I hope that I don't um, you know create some kind of uh, difficulty for someone who has a different preference 
I, I appreciate that. And if you want to reach out to me, feel free to. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But the first one is power. And that's kind of your strength of your motor, your pulley, your belt, just the whole system that makes it go, right? Um, I look at the second one is strength. Strength is not the same thing as power. Strength is really about the internal components, like how heavy of gear can you put through that machine? Uh, punching power, how strong are the feed dogs? How wide are the feed dogs that, that can carry the, the fabric through? Um, a third one is kind of the opposite of the strength, but not really. It's finesse. It's how delicate of an item can I put through, right? If I'm working on seal poly, um, you know, that's a different machine than, than four layers of thousand, you know, uh, Cordura. So machine tolerances come in big there, and we'll talk about that if, if we get a chance to. Um, the fourth one's durability, and this, this comes down to a, a lot. And, and it also depends on what you're using it for, but is it metal parts? Are there plastic parts inside that are going to break down over time? They may be the best plastic parts made 60 years ago, but after 60 years, they're wearing down because of everything that happened to them. Um, how quickly can I get parts? Can I, do I have enough options of how to find it? Um, are there service manuals online? Are the service manuals in English? Right? Do they have a way of transferring back into my own brain how to do this? How, how quickly, how, how, um, in, how efficiently can I repair the machine? So there's a lot that goes into durability. And then I look at ease. Ease comes down to, can I find information about it? Is there a community that I can reach out for help on? Is it compatible with other machines, um, whether it's other brand names or it's other um, time periods and, and model numbers? So those, those are the big ones. Um, last one comes down to features. This is the widest area because features comes down to what are you trying to accomplish? And I think we've got some time to talk more about the features later. So I'll just leave it there as far as being part of the system. Um, it's, it's a numeric system, which forces me to put a number to each one of these. So what I did on that was created a rationale. For example, for my power, um, for my power, I took industrial machines completely out because you'll see from, from my own setup, my, my Nakajima 280L, it doesn't have power, right? You add whatever motor you want to it, and that's what helps you indicate the power. So when I'm, when I'm looking at industrial machine, I don't, I don't use that, that category. For strength, I would, because um, I look at my, my Nekibu Mira as a very high strength as, a, as opposed to a plastic machine that was made in the early 2000s. So one of the toughest parts has been assigning what is a 10, what is a five, what is a one, and then being able to piece machines, finding enough information to, to piece machines there. So how would you encourage people or recommend that people interact with the braiding scale? Like, is this something they're looking at? Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. So don't try to put words in your mouth. But how, yeah. how do they interact with the scale? What here's what I see, um, and and I'm and I'm and I want to do this, and um, and maybe people want to help with this because there are there are a lot of lists out there for vintage machines. Let's take Kenmore's for example. Being able to track all of the different models of Kenmore's and who made them, um, those are great because if you're 
if you're looking to find the right thing, it's helpful to see all the categories that are being used. Where was this one made? What features does it have? But then your comparison is really lost after that. As, as someone who is evaluating or trying to provide advice on a particular machine, it's very difficult because all you have is terms that you can throw out. This is a 1.1 amp motor that was made in the United States for, a, for an Italian machine that was imported in the 50s. That helps me a lot, but it doesn't help me compare it to a 1.5 amp motor made in the United States in the 70s. So having the scoring system would help someone who's evaluating provide that information to somebody who's reviewing and looking for. Um, that, and is it like yeah. a total? Is it like a total score thing where once you add it up, you're looking for the highest number, or are you looking for the number that correlates with the machine that you're looking for? Ah, that's that's a good point, and I meant to share that earlier. It all depends, right? I'm going to end everything with it all depends. So um, just know that's the answer. Uh, it, I look at the the projects that someone's looking for, and I, I'm going to bring up jeans as an example. I'm, I'm going to bring up XPack as well. But if I look at jeans versus upholstery versus um, versus leather, right? Just those three things. I'm looking at an industrial heavy duty machine, um, but I'm looking for a few key differences. If if I'm doing jeans, I want a drop feed machine that's fast. I want needle feed. Um, if I'm doing upholstery, I want very grippy walking foot. If it's leather, it's triple compound and it's less invasive, right? So something that's easier on the on the material. All three of those, you would not want to look at a total scoring of all of those categories, add them up, and pick the highest one. What you'd want to do is find the categories that don't apply for the particular project that you're looking at. If I'm looking to, like we talked about the Sil Poly, right? If I'm looking at that, I'm not going to look at a power or a strength. I'm going to look at the finesse, the durability, and the ease. Those are going to be the three I would focus on. So part of the interaction with others in the community in using the system would be choosing how do I add those three up and look at the different machines? How do I remove all of the features of, of 20 other machines so that I can focus on the ones that I really want to choose from? Really good point. So are each of these uh, categories, power, strength, finesse, tolerance, durability, ease, are, they're all rated on a system of one to 10 or one to five, you said? They would be a one to 10. Yeah, okay. exactly. Cool. Would, would it be helpful for the people listening to run through what a score looks like for you pick a random sewing machine Yeah, model? absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. I, and I would go on the, I would go on the power and, and that's a little bit easier. So if I'm looking at the power ranking, um, I would look at, is it a home machine or is it an industrial machine? Like we talked about the industrial machine, it's gonna depend on what motor that you have. So I would just leave that out for a moment. My own opinion on it is that a home machine cannot get above a six because home machines just don't come with the same types of motors that you'd find a servo three-quarter horsepower motor for an industrial machine. So what I used as the very top was, um, for example, a Cellrite 
machine with a 1.5 amp motor. That would, that would garner a six, and anything else that had a 1.5 amp machine or motor would also get that same, same ranking of a six. Other machines I would put in there, well, I'll throw out one other one, is um, the Viking Husqvarna, the 22E, which also has a 1.5 amp motor. That would receive a score of six. All the way at the bottom at one would be a vintage single stitch uh, or straight stitch singer from the 50s. They had 0.53 amp motors. So regardless of how good my singer was at finesse, um, the strength, I mean, singer machines last forever. Um, they, they had the best design in the 50s. Um, if I'm trying to do Cordura, I'm not going to pick up something that's got a 0.53 amp motor. One of the most popular machines that we all have seen around and on Instagram photos is the Singer Heavy Duty. I, I mentioned that one. Uh, I don't really know where it falls on your on your scale, really, but it's just the most popular one. So I think it's one, one that everyone is familiar with. Where would that machine fall in some of your ratings? Again, it's just to give people kind of a benchmark of, of what to expect a little bit. Well, I can tell you where mine fell in in the first two weeks of me starting in my projects, right? It fell straight down. No, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> where does it fall? Um, if I were looking at the the different rationales for the power, I would say it's a one or a two. Um, it the new mo none of the new machines come with more than a one amp motor, right? So so they're they're relatively low on the power scale. When it comes to the strength, it says heavy duty, but I would still put it in the one to two category because there's so much plastic in the machine. I, I do believe that that one has a metal frame. That's more of a marketing ploy as far as it having the, the metal there. A lot of the internal components that you rely on spinning something else or moving another part are plastic. The finesse, I would say, is a three because they the, the, the tolerances of those machines are so big or loose that you're going to have a hard time with the very straight stitch that you're looking for or that perfect zigzag that is well balanced on both sides of the project. Durability, parts are, <laughs> they're easy to find, but it's, it's hard. I, you probably haven't seen many pictures of that machine being opened up and worked on because the machines are really made for a one use, right? Once you have a problem with it, it's, it's now time to return it, get your money back and buy another one or, or buy a different machine completely. I would say on the ease, it's a 10 because there's a lot of documentation. There's a lot of know-how, a lot of videos you can watch for that. Cost, I would say it comes down to a one or a two. Um, on my cost, I use, uh, below $50 as a one, my two is a below $200, and I, I use a 10 as um, above 3000 So I don't generally recommend anything in that space for vintage machines. But I say that it's a one or a two because if you are looking at a brand new one, it's just under 200 If you're looking for one that's two years old, you can find it for about 30 or 40 bucks on um, Goodwill. Goodwill's website or in a Goodwill shop that, that you can pick up. I wouldn't recommend it though. Cool. So one thing that I'm kind of noticing here, Heath, is that I, uh, well, this is an observation, but also a question, I guess at the same time, which is, um, 
for something like the singer heavy duty, it's easy to look at those numbers and largely not see amazing results, which may be true. But also, like you said earlier, the answer kind of always comes back to, and it depends to some extent. With that in mind, without being too specific, because many people don't own a ton of machines. A lot of people maybe own a couple just because they inherit one from their grandmother and they get one from Goodwill and they're sort of trying to piece these together. But not everyone, you know, most people have one machine. Most MYOGers that are at home making some gear, should I say, probably have one machine. So what would you look for? Or I guess maybe just a couple of rec- uh, sewing machine recommendations for people that may sew with Silipoly sometimes to make their one-person tarp and also may sew with a 1000D Cordura to make a book bag. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think another thing, Jameson, that I'd take this back to is the three categories that I mentioned earlier of what we spend our time doing as MYOGers, right? It's the design, it's the making, and it's the maintaining equipment, right? For myself... I'm about a third, a third, a third. So I'm okay spending a third of my time, which is not very much, a third of my time doing this stuff, which means I can go buy a vintage machine and I can fix some of the parts. I can take it apart. I can oil it. I can clean it. I've got time for that because I've built that in. If you're someone who only wants to spend your time implementing and designing, let's say it's 50-50 there, go buy that singer heavy duty because you know maybe it lasts you six months it lasts you a year and then you're going to buy something else that's okay there's nothing wrong with that so i would say for anyone who's starting this evaluate where you want to spend your time if you don't want to be oiling gears and cleaning nicotine stains that are 70 years old off of a machine then your choice is easy go find something that's that's made in the last couple years including that So I'm going to just focus on vintage machines here, and I'm just going to focus on um, the the types of machines that would would work on some of the projects like you talked about, the the patterns that you guys sell, the the products that we we see on your your sites. Um, And I'm I'm going to do this by brand, if that's okay, because I think it's harder to do a top 10 or anything like that when you're just you're just shooting at anything over any period over the last hundred years, right? Uh, What I look at is I have non-negotiables. So I'm going to start there. And a non-negotiable for a vintage machine, if you're not using vintage machines, these may seem trivial. They're not decisions that you've ever had to make, but it's got to have reverse. Some of them don't. If they don't have reverse, I'm not evaluating them. It must be a round bobbin. I, I love some of those machines that have the old bobbins, but it's not it's not feasible. It's not economical. So if it doesn't have the round bobbin that goes in, um, you're not going to see it on my list. And I would recommend you stay away from it unless you want to put it on a coffee table as as a you know a piece that goes with with all of your your furniture, right? Um, this one may be controversial, but it's got to have zigzag. If it doesn't have zigzag, you're going to regret it most likely, especially as an only machine. So Jameson, when you say, what are the couple machines? Go get you a great straight stitch. There's a lot of them, but don't do it as your first machine. You'll regret that with with some of the projects you're doing. This one sounds trivial, probably must have power. (laughs) It's got to have a motor in it. I love treadle machines. I love using my feet to pedal back and forth, Um, but you're going to regret that after a couple projects. Right? especially as you're trying to figure out where your hands go and how you hold on to, 
the 15 different areas of a project with two hands and you're trying to use your feet at the same time. Great for drummers, not good for, for MYOGers. Uh, it's gotta be readily available for sale. So I think about some of the best Singer machines. Singer 411G is a great zigzag machine. It, they're hard to find. They weren't made in the United States. They're, I'm not gonna put those on the list um, because it would be hard to recommend that to all of your listeners and then nobody be able to find it. That doesn't help. <laughs> I, I'm gonna look at the 3000 mark that we talked about. I'm, I'm most likely gonna stay under 500, right? If I'm talking about a vintage machine, I'm doing it to save money. I'm doing it so I can save some, some financial space for upgrades or, uh, so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna exclude some, some countries, okay? I'm gonna set this up before I, I make it sound like I'm biased against other countries. But when we talk about the vintage space, um, America came first, and then the, the other Western European company, countries came second. Japan came third very strongly. And then after that, there was more China, Taiwan, Thailand. Those countries, some great products come out of there now. In the 80s is when you saw all of those. In the 90s, you saw them. I would have, I'm avoiding anything that was made in those three countries in the vintage sewing machine market. Those were the, those were the places where America, Europe, where, where they went to save money on plastic parts and, and, and labor. So I'm going to avoid them. If there's anything that's non-metal and it's a critical part, I'm going to avoid that machine completely because we do not want to have to go in and take the whole machine apart to replace something because it slips or it cracked or whatever it is. Plastic cams, that's great. I can replace a cam that helps me with a fancy stitch um, and it's plastic, or I don't even need it if I don't want it. So I start there. I'm, I'm gonna start with the Kenmore machines. I know I mentioned them earlier. It's hard to go wrong with them. Um, two, my two favorite models there, the 1914 and the, and the 1941. Go with either of those, you get, you get, you get an awesome machine all around. The one thing you don't get from them is the tight tolerances. So I, I read this often, like I got this Kenmore and it worked as soon as I got it, it's been setting for 40 years, right? I get that. And then I got this Neki Boomera from the, 60, from the 50s and it was frozen. It took tons of work to get it unfrozen. That's the tolerances in the machine, right? That's how close and how how everything fits together so tightly that gives you the perfect stitch. That's the one thing you don't get from these two, but everything else, it's, they're great all around machines. They also were made in Japan by a company called Maruzen. Anytime you find a Maruzen made Kenmore, that's my recommendation. Um, there's a couple other ones, early 50s through 60s, there were German made Kenmores. That would be the second machine type that I would go after there. And they're they're beautiful. They're I mean they're orangish red and and green and um, you'll you'll love those as opposed to the 70s machines that I recommended. They're all you know gray and off white, right? Just like the time period. So there's a lot more on that that I know. The you know if if we're looking at the vintage sewing machine community, they're going to weigh in with a lot more machines that are top 30 just in the Kenmore section. But I I, I love them for that. Um, second one is Neki, right? Boomira, Supernova, 
These are the 50s machines. Um, Necky was one of the first ones that brought ZigZag to America, and they are rock solid, but they also will, I, I love them because they will sew any material that rips out by the roll cells, and they'll do it well, regardless of how tiny or how thick, um, they do it well. There's also, there's a component to the Boomira that I love that goes on the front that allows you to put cams on it and make as fancy a stitch as, as you would like, several different ones. You've probably heard this one, the FAF 130. So FAF is a great machine. I trust anything made by FAF before the 2000s, really the 90s with some exceptions, but FAF 130 is made for 20 or 30 years. Um, they're, they're the same thing as, as Singer on the German side. Um, the, the difference is, is that they brought zigzag where Singer took way too long to do that. So FAF 130, especially if you find a coffee grinder on it, coffee grinder goes on the back and that's where you have the cams. That's just the nickname for it. Those are very valuable. Without the coffee grinder, they're very easy to find. Um, on the FAF side, I would go one more thing there is that the, the, the 1200 series, which is more of an 80s machine, lots of features, lots of power, um, all mechanical-ish, a little bit of electronics there just for needle up, needle down types of stuff. But those are the two ways I'd go with FAF. Bernina, anything Bernina, I'd say it's the same as FAF. I love the X30 series. So anything from the 530 all the way to the 930 for mechanical, 1130, 1230 for, um, for having a motherboard. Okay, that gets a little interesting there because they're hard to work on, but those are excellent machines. Same thing with the FAF, if you wanna go older and all mechanical, a 117. That green thing, it's, it's a fantastic machine and does the zigzag. Um, Singer, I mentioned that. Um, 411G, hard to find. If I'm gonna throw a Singer machine in, I say the Rocketeer 500 series. That's a slant needle, interesting concept. Um, they're pretty valuable. They're hard, they're easy to find, but they sell for a lot if they're in good shape. I mentioned the Husqvarna, the Viking Husqvarna 19 through 22 series. These are um, green machines. If, if they're green, it's good, right? Um, so they're they're very easy to find. They're a little harder to work on and get in up to speed, but they're great machines. I would throw the Elna Supermatic in from the 60s. And then Janome, I didn't mention at all because there's so many machines that they're good at. I say from the 50s through the 90s, any Janome machine is good, especially if it's made by New Home. New Home being the brand name, but Janome being the one who makes it. There you go. There's your top whatever <laughs> the number was list. I'd like to think that this is the question everyone is thinking now. Um, and I don't want to deviate away from uh, kind of the technical side, but I'm really curious. This list is in the best way exhaustive. Like you've done yeah. an immense amount of research. Um, I'm kind of interested to talk a little bit about how many of these machines you've tried and how you've gotten your hands on all of these and when you've gotten your hands on them. Like I'm just, I'm just imagining like a laboratory of sewing machines and parts and just the immense amount of time and effort put into testing all of these. Where do we start with the process you've taken of, of, of getting this exhaustive list together? Yeah. Okay. 
that's that that may be even a more extensive list than the sewing machines but <laughs> we we can make it shorter okay the first thing i do is find a community that i trust right i mentioned the facebook but i wouldn't even stop there i mean leatherworkers.net um there's tons of communities do some google searching for what you're looking for even if you have no idea what what machine to choose what brand what time period just go searching for people that are doing something similar to you if i go searching for um sale repair and i go searching over here for working on tents i'm going to find different communities that i trust i can't give you a whole lot on which ones to trust and which ones not but just do some searching if you find yourself at facebook ask some of these questions to the people that are there and you, you'll find that just know that everyone has an opinion i'm going to say that one more time um, i i go with facebook marketplace offer up is a, is a good place to find these craigslist for your area is a good way to find it they all have their strengths and weaknesses you know higher price lower price more risk as far as meeting someone at a you know in a dark alley to get this machine versus it being shipped to you i would definitely look at that what i love is goodwill's site say i don't i don't really want to tell you this because then people are going to start competing with me in auctions but when somebody gives something to goodwill they put it online shopgoodwill.com i believe is the website it's a great way one of buying machines for 20 or 30 dollars and you know having decent shipping and um shipping options that aren't going to be out of control granted i've received a few machines that didn't look like the picture because they threw it in a box and and shipped it off thinking ups was going to you know treat it very gingerly i would go through all of those and you'll find that this one is um, if i'm looking at not on my recommended list but you, you you look at some of the the old singer machines that are very small they fit in a cabinet um, the feather lights they they are very expensive so when you go to goodwill you see that they're five six hundred dollars find them locally for a thousand dollars that helps you just kind of see where the best places are to buy it um, now remember that's a straight stitch machine with no throat space and no power so other than that I don't know why we'd have that for MYOG, but I would go through that process as you're looking um, and then start looking for for blogs. I keep a list of blogs on my own blog just so that I can go back and look. There's a few people that buy machines and put out very detailed um, features and, and reviews, and I get a lot from that. Um, I, so I would go that direction. I don't know what rock I've been living under, but I had no idea that Goodwill even had an online store at all. I'm just learning yeah, that right now. I like that. I yeah. like that you didn't know it because, <laughs> you know, I've, <laughs> there's, a, there's at least eight machines on there that I have bought from Goodwill. And I mean, the great thing is there are not a lot of them in South Texas, but there's a lot. And when you look at it nationwide, yeah. that can be shipped. And, and it does a great job of estimating what you're, handling and what your shipping costs will be so that you can bid on it and you know with with real dollars yeah so how many sewing machines do you own heath if you don't mind my asking i, I can't answer that <laughs> I, I think my wife's probably going to listen to this so uh, i'm on a strict one in one out system right now so 
Um, some of my favorite machines have gone out the door, uh, but I'm going to say 11 is my current number. It's been up to 25, um, including some of the machines that you see on the list. So I do have a little bit of a problem, but I'm getting better at it. I think I've gotten more strict in what I take in and more strict on what goes out and what I need these projects for. So even though my daughter comes to me with this project, my son comes to me with this project, I'm pretty good with my current machines on what I'm looking for. But I have my eye on one right now that um, you know could break that whole system. But your other question was, how do they come in? How have I touched all these machines? I will buy a machine that goes off the auction at $20 and it costs $22 to ship to me, right? So that's, you think about Hobby Lobby, that's one fifth of the price of what a machine would cost there. And then I know that I can afford to give that one away to someone else, um, not finish it and, you know, be able to give it away. Or I love the machine and I keep it in. Um, several of them are ones that have come in cabinets with knee power, right? That you, you put your knee on it and that's when it goes. And I've converted that into a portable machine with they, they could be taken on a boat and actually gave the system away to somebody who needed it. So that's where I kind of find myself going whenever I get these machines. I don't want to take us away from the <laughs> the technical side of your uh, the sheet and everything, but I do have I continually have more follow-up questions for you, but I'm really interested to yes. hear about um, kind of your influence uh, or influencing other people to sew. Um, we've mentioned a few different uh, of the ways that you're connected to other people, whether it's scouts, but also your own kids. And it seems like, I think what I'm telling, cause we're able to see you for anyone that's, that's listening to it. Um, we can see Heath now recording and I can see that there's some, I think that you have a passion for sewing, showing other people how to sew or giving them the ability to sew as well. Um, what other ways do you like, do you teach sewing at scouts or do you help other people create gear? It seems like that's something that you uh, appreciate. That's something that I really like talking to the people about as well as when they, when your eyes get opened up to how gear is made or the potential that you can make some of your own gear. Um, I find that really uh, contagious in my own little way, but I would imagine you have a, a pretty large impact uh, with, with kids and scouting and, and your work through, th uh, through sewing machines. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, I, that's, that's a great question. Um, starting with the Boy Scouts, I, I, I don't know if that's the, the biggest one, but just because we brought that up, um, there used to be a sewing badge um, that Boy Scouts would earn to get through right from, from Scout to Eagle Scout. Uh, I just had my son eagle out, right? He just got his eagle, which is hard to do. And man, it's such a, um, such a tedious task, but, but they learned so much around it. They removed the sewing, the sewing badge around 20 years ago. And I think it came down to people just don't know how anymore, right? I think everybody's grandma knows how to sew, but then after that, it's just, there's no real rhyme or reason. Right. Um, so what I do is it's not for a badge, but Boy Scouts have so many badges. They have to put on their own uniform all the time. And not a lot of the moms or dads sew in the family. So I think the biggest just the, the, the biggest um, way I've brought it is by bringing my machine 
to our meetings to be able to just stop and sew everyone's badges on it. So they don't have to go downtown or figure out how they're going to do it. That's translated into me giving machines away to those who wanted to do that. And a lot of that came down to having machines that could not sew a badge on, right? These badges are pretty thick, right? They're, I'd say one of those badges is two or three layers of um, thousand denier cordura, right? So they're pretty thick and then you've got the machine and you've got to have some know-how. What I can help them with is I got a metal machine that will do this um, in its sleep, right? You'll have to slow down um, it, it is the biggest thing there. Um, the other side of it is one of our meetings. We all made stuff sacks, right? So I brought about five different types of material. They were all ripstop by the roll material, right? They all had a different feel or they had a thickness or they, and it was fun to watch the kids say, oh, this is so light, but ah, that's too light. That's going to blow away in the wind. Good. Okay. This one, right? And so then they all had to cut their own. They had to find their their cord and we walk through, you know, how would we build this cord in? Like what's an efficient way of making this overlap and what type of seam to use without getting technical. It was, and what do you think is going to happen to those edges? Did you see that? You, you notice how that kind of tears, it kind of comes undone. What would we do there? We should hide it. You know, it maybe I'm making that up in my head on the terms that they used, but um, just watching them get it and then just on our last camp out, one of the boys had his stuff sack and that's how he was, he was going to the shower to go um, with his soap and his toothbrush. And it's like, where'd you get that? That's the one we made. So that, I mean, that's, that's fun. Cause they all kind of get that and they know I'm that guy. Um, I, I think it comes down to church, right? I've just talked to several people at church about it. Like you said, it's, it's kind of a passion. I, I know lots of the people at church that do this. One of them was looking for the, one of these old Singer industrial machines. So I went and bought one for $20 and gave it to her. She had to do a lot of the work on it. She had to find the table for it and the motor for it. But it was it was an exciting moment that she wouldn't have known what to look for. And so we do that. I have family members that send me pictures of every antique machine that they find. Like, I thought you'd want to see this. No, I don't want to see that. That's the same machine I see everywhere. No, I don't say it that way. but. Um, but it, I think there's just, when somebody knows your passion for it, they're looking as well. And I think it makes everybody do it a little bit more. I love that. I love your generosity and your kindness around it because it is, it is infectious and people can pick up on that. But it's also something like you mentioned earlier about communities. It's also nice to be able to share that with somebody. There aren't a lot of people that are doing that kind of thing. So when somebody else feels um, a kindred feeling about that, it's nice to know somebody else would appreciate it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, here's one other example, Jameson. Uh, I think this one's worth it. Is we've got a portion of our troop that's going on a high adventure in Canada, and I had one of the guys ask me, "Which hammock would you get?" And it and it led to a conversation of bivy bags versus hammocks. And you know, a lot of the conversations that I read up on a lot. I'm sure you guys are reading up on it. You're, I mean, you're actually releasing podcasts on that subject. And just having some of these dads that wouldn't have thought about their, their gear, they're looking at weight and they're looking at material. And you've got, I've got one of them that brought me a bivy bag, right. From, from another company, one of the, um, you know, one of the cottage industries that 
it's like, man, I found this one. It's so light and it's the whole thing. And if I compare it to what I have, my Coleman, right, with the big gray bottom, <laughs> you know, that stuff, it's not even a comparison. I can't believe I've been doing that all this time. So they're not going to go and sew this on their own, but just the conversation was able to improve their ability to camp and hike. So this is yet another tangent and I'll get us back sort of on track after, but, um, I'm actually very excited to hear you talk about, um, kind of the, the gear talk in scouting. So, um, this is not a direction I thought we'd be, I would be going today, but so I, I am also an Eagle scout. My little brother's an Eagle scout. Um, I've, so I've been around scouting for a while and one of my, I I would regret to talk about it too negatively because the point really isn't the gear and scouts. It's about the skills and, and, you know, all all those things. So uh, it's not really a problem. Um, but as kind of a, a self-proclaimed gear nerd now, thanks to Carter and Isaac's help, um, you know, very much a reformed ultralight person, (laughs) if if you want to call it that. And one of the, one of the funny things called it modified, right? Yeah. What's your name for it? Modified. That's probably a better, I think so. Yeah. But, um, one of the things with scouting I always think about is how uh, the the best gateway to getting outdoors is probably going to be a pretty ultra heavy type system. I can't tell you how many times I've been out on trails out in West North Carolina and I see a scout troop walking down and this kid's got like a five pound sleeping bag and that kid's got an 80 pound pack and he only weighs uh, 80 pounds anyway. And he has a huge like Coleman nine person tent on the back. Um, and it's a bit painful. So I love, uh, I love the idea that some kids out there are, are seeing more of the ultralight world, not as like a right or wrong, but just, um, backpacking can be a lot more fun when you are not carrying 70 liters of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I've seen some of those same things and taken pictures of the other adults <laughs> yeah. that have the, you know, the sleeping bag that he's hunched over <laughs> yeah. because he's trying to carry it. It doesn't fit in any bag, even the heavy bag. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, okay. So getting sort of, sort of back on track, we haven't touched on industrial machines yet. So that's where I'd like to go next. Uh, I would imagine the scale is similar, but also we're talking about totally different applications when it comes to an industrial machine. You're somebody that's probably sewing a lot more frequently. You're sewing a lot thicker materials. Uh, you're trying to get through projects probably a bit faster. Does the scale change at all with industrial machines or what would you kind of preface before we start to dig in kind of down that path a little bit more when it comes to industrials. Yeah. What I would say is um, the, the, the word industrial doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't mean anything. And so the first thing you find is that if you go to one of these communities and you say, hey, is this an industrial machine? You get 2000 comments that are misleading because there's no such thing, right? You look at a machine that's got a motor on the bottom of it as opposed to on it. It's a stationary with a table. Those may be how you define industrial, but there's still so many different types that it's it's hard to do all of that in one machine. So I would start by saying, I got four machines. Again, I'm a little bit leery to tell you because if everyone finds out, then now they're gonna want it, right? But I would I would go down that path first because these are all machines that would hit all of my qualifications for the home machine with the difference of it's whatever motor you put on it, right? It's whatever belt you get to fit it, um, and it's stationary. Now, my favorite way is that these are all machines you could put in a portable case. 
you'd have to design it yourself. But there's a lot of people that have done that in a really cool way. So the first one is a Bernina 217. That's my that's the machine I use day in and day out. It probably gets 90% of all of the, the projects that I work on. Um, and the only time I go to another machine, well, no, not the only time. Sometimes I will use another machine because it's got the current thread color that I'm looking for. So I will bypass all of the reasons not to use that machine and do it anyway because I don't want to change the thread out. But the Bernina 217 is zigzag. It's got the ability to have fancy stitches if you want. It's very wide zigzag. It's um, got very high tolerances. So I would use that as a one machine for anybody that can afford that. And you're looking at about $1,000 to find a Bernina 217. And then it possibly needs some work, right? But I will gladly do that work for a machine like that. Something very similar is the FAF 138, longer um, throat space, but same thing. It can be any project can be done there. You can do leather on these. There's going to be leather crazies that say you can't, but it's powerful enough and it's it, it can do it. It does not have the right feeding mechanism, right? So you're going to get some weird stitches, but as as long as you're just trying to make a a stuff sack that's got leather at the bottom. You could do that on one of these machines very easily. I would throw in the Brother. It's called the TZ1B652. But if you just think of the B652, um, that's where I would go. This was the machine that helped Cellrite take off, right? They took, they bought this machine, and then they started making all of their their improvements. I think where this machine excels is that one, you can find it for under $1,000. It is an industrial machine. It's got nine millimeter wide zigzag, which is pretty unheard of in these artisan or cottage type of industrial machines. But it's, it's just, it's almost perfect in every way. And it's one of the best ones for putting in a carry case, right? You could actually find one of these industrial carrying cases um, and pull this one around for summer camp, right? With the Boy Scouts. The fourth one is, I would say it falls behind the other three in my mind, but I add it because of its availability, and that's the Singer 20U. Very similar in what it does, same stitches, same, um, same zigzag capability. Uh, and there's a few of them, that is, 20U has been made for a long time. Go find a blue one with the thread spool on the top. Once you do some, once you do some research on the 20U, you'll understand what I mean by saying blue and, and thread spool on top because there's other versions of it. Those are the ones that are all metal and that have the least maintenance issues right now. So that would be the very start of it. If I get outside of those four or outside of that just category in general of the cottage or the artisan machine that can do everything, now I'm looking for what exactly do I want this machine to be for? The moment that you go buy an industrial machine, is the moment that you've decided what projects you're working on. A Juki 8700, one of the best machines ever. It's been made forever, but it's a fast straight stitch with a, um, with a very simple feeding mechanism, right? Now you're using, now you're very excited that Ripstop by the Roll has added new fabric for apparel, right? Because that's the thing that you do with those machines. It's no leather, there's no zigzag. I'm gonna have a hard time with that with that bag that I made for 
climbing, right? The chalk bag, because I needed zigzag several times there with my X pack or with a bar tack, right? I'm not going to get that in that machine. On the other side of it, you've got a lot of great machines made by FAF that are still a single stitch. They are triple compound feed, great for your heavier stuff, but then you're locked into that. It's a slower stitch. It's heavy duty. You wouldn't want to put your, your seal poly or seal nylon underneath that because you'd, you'd just tear it up. So if you do get to that point, go find a community, right? Go to leatherworker.net and see what their thoughts on it. Even if you're not working on leather, that's a good way because there's so many experts that are there teaching you what the machine does and what it doesn't do. And, and they're very good at, at steering you right because they're all experts. I'm not promoting that, but I spend a lot of time there, even if I'm not looking at leather. So once you've decided you're buying that industrial machine, you're going to use it for the one purpose, just do some research on what's out there. I look at the, the Conso, the RB1. What I would look at in that point is where was it made and what time period is it made? If it's a brand new machine, I choose it last. If it was made in Japan 20 years ago, I choose it because I can buy products or parts for that machine now for the same machine, but I know that those were used, they were manufactured using the highest standards of tolerance and the right metal. I just trust those machines more. It almost seems like there's this uh, middle category where oftentimes people think about home machines and industrial machines. And I don't want to pretend like I know enough to speak to the world of those machines necessarily too much, but I really like those uh, those handful that you mentioned that are classified in the industrial category, but also do more than one thing. Uh, if I'm honest, yeah. the industrial machines that I'm most familiar with uh, are the highly that we have here and then Carter's Juki, which I think he's got the 8700. It's a it's a direct drive Juki, but that's similar to what you were mentioning where it's yep. incredible on the straight stitch, but it's the only one that it does. Um, and yeah. he's got an old, uh, a really nice machine kind of set up to the side for his zigzag. Um, but I'm all that to say, I'm used to the machines that are, like the industrials that are just straight lining at a thousand miles an hour kind of deal, um, yes. which are really fast to work on projects. But anyway, this additional category that I'm sort of thinking of now in my own head are these industrials that are going to be much faster to work with than a home machine and much more efficient, but also where you can just turn it over to a really, really good zigzag stitch, uh, which is really yeah. cool. I mean, for a lot of people, it's kind of like your generalist MYOG or that wants to create a lot of things, but doesn't want to have a room of seven sewing machines. And you brought up a great point with the direct drive motor, right? I didn't mention that at all, but that's another way of taking an industrial machine and making it seem more like a home machine because you don't have the motor and the belt underneath and they're just as powerful. That's one of the ways that I would buy something newer versus some of these, you know, these, these motors that were set up for the factory to run 24 hours a day. Um, I, I would go that direction, especially on some of these machines I mentioned, because they're, they all can be converted to a direct drive motor with some know-how. Heath, is there a place where people can interact with the scoring system that you've put together and sort of, I mean, we'll, we've, Avery's taking notes and we'll write these things down in the, uh, in the episode description. Uh, but yeah, is there a way people can interact with this or when next time they're like, Oh, I need to buy a machine. They're like, but I heard this guy on Riftstop on the record who knows everything. <laughs> well, I, I don't know everything. I, I wish I would have said that up front. I'm, I'm a product of all of the things that I read and, and research. Um, 
and and some of it, of course, getting getting my hands in there. Um, I would love for there to be a place where they can interact. There's not right now. Um, I'm I'm building it for the purpose of being able to share it as a Google Sheet, linking it somewhere where anybody can have access and anyone can make recommendations, make changes using versioning control to be able to um, change it back if 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 I made a singer person mad and they go and add all of the singer machines and remove all the right being able to to do that but also collect all of the collaboration from those that are out there that that's the goal it's not it's not that way right now if someone is interested i'd love for you to reach out to me my instagram 77 gearco i'm not a company i don't sell products you'll notice on there that usually when i talk about my customer or my client it's 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 my daughter that wants to go too fast and she wants to pay nothing right way less than it's worth um reach out to me there and if you have ideas on it i'd love to work with people the last thing i want it to be is my opinion and people are having to look at that i'd love for it to be thousands of people having their opinion and then when a review comes out someone can look and say i disagree with that number instead of a four i think this one's a six because you're you're missing the fact that there's an extra belt inside that slows it down and makes it more powerful. Ah, excellent, because that's what the Viking machine does, right? Um, so having difference of opinions on there is is really going to help. Um, I'd love for ideas on that. I've got uh, one final question for you here, Heath. Um, obviously, a lot of your knowledge has been around vintage machines, which is something we have not had on the podcast. So having your expertise is really amazing. And this might be a simple answer for you, but I'm just curious to see what you say. Uh, One of the questions we get all the time is people asking for a starter machine. So if I were to ask you as a someone starting out into DIY and NYOG, I have $500 to spend. What would you tell me to convince me to use that $500 on a vintage machine versus maybe a newer machine within the last few years. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to even be more down the middle on that. So (laughs) uh, a machine that I really love and I've been waiting for something like this is um, the Janome 6000 series. So they're still made today. The one that I use right now is the 6700. And it's P because it's professional. So Janome and Elna, right, both make the same machine. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is called something different, but but the company, Janome owns both of those companies. So either one of them, they're the same machine. Um, start out with a 6,000 series for $500. You could buy one that's three models ago. That's fine. You can compare... Right, what the 6,000, or I'm sorry, what the 6,300, what the 6,400 has, um, 6,650 is when they started selling them online. I would look out for that one just because that uh, that's kind of a, a just a training ground of a few features they added. But like a 6,600 would be something you could find for that five to six hundred dollars. Um, if you're looking at 1,500, that's that's what I've got here with the 6,700. But in a few years, you'll be able to find it for, for 500 as well. That's what I would do on a new machine because it hits all my criteria. It's a, it's a big throat space. It's heavy duty. It, it can sew through anything that I put under the foot. 
right? Not, not that I would do that, but it will do that. And it's got a lot of fancy stuff like alphabet. It's got, you know, a ton of stitches that I never use, but if I want to, I can, right? Um, it's got the knee lift. It's got a lot of the components because they wanted to make things more like a vintage machine in a newer machine that has lots of features. Um, if, if you were talking about $500, I would look at the Kenmore 1914. It's got a 1.5 amp motor. It's, it's beautiful on straight stitch. It's great zigzag. I would look at the FAF 130. That's the great old machine. I mentioned that one over the other old machines because there's so many of them and the parts are so easy to find for them. The case I would make is for $500, I could buy 10 machines that are very undervalued because nobody wants them and put together the perfect machine and learn a ton in the process. So you know that a part's not going to break on, on these old machines, but a bobbin wheel may not work because it's crusted, right? It's, it's falling apart. So maybe you can live without that. Maybe you can't, but give it a shot. You may find that you want to learn how to clean these machines and open them up because there's no motherboard inside for you to mess up and have to send off you know, overseas to get it done. That's a tough sales pitch, Avery, because it would depend on who I was talking to at the time. Uh, the other, you know, if, if you're local, what I would say is bring the machine directly to me, <laughs> give me a day, and I'll help you assess what needs to be done. Um, it may, you know, there may be a ton of stuff wrong with it, or it may just need to be cleaned and it's ready to go for the next 30 years. So to that point, actually, I was going to ask you, uh, without making this last even longer, we've already kept you. Uh, what do you do for sewing machine cleaning? I mean, it's a question that we get frequently, and it's something that we are big advocates of. We try to remind people sometimes you just need to rethread your machine and get some of the junk that falls in the throat plate when you're sewing. But what do you? Uh, I was just working on a blog last week actually about sewing machine cleaning, so I'm thinking about Q-tips and cotton swabs and pipe cleaners and things like that. But what do you do when you're doing just a kind of a routine machine cleaning? Yeah, I, I would I would start with my with my current machine because I'm I'm assuming that most people are going to be using something like that. Look at the look at the manual. The manual is going to give you the best information about what to clean, where to clean, and more importantly, where to oil, right? Because newer machines do not want oil, so don't go throwing oil into the into the hook or you know don't open it up and just start throwing um, oil into every metal piece that you see as opposed to a Janome New Home 660 from the, from the 60s, the best thing to do is drop it in oil, pick it up, you know, put it on a towel for a couple hours, and then go sew for the next year. I'm, I'm exaggerating there, but you know what I mean. Um, I, what I use is, is forced air, right? On the newer machines, I wouldn't take a can of forced air um, into the hook. On the old machines, I will use my my power, my air in the garage, and I will just I will, I will spend 20 minutes just going through the machine, clearing out anything that's in there. Nothing's getting stuck anywhere in those machines. But the newer ones, you want to do more of a um, a finesse. They usually come with a brush. If they do, it's because it's the right size for all the places they need you to clean. So hold on to that. Don't lose it. I have a habit of that. I've got brushes that I don't like and don't want to use. They are the ones I can always find when I'm trying to clean my machine. The one that I have specifically for it is nowhere to be found ever. 
So I, I'm, I'm somebody who needs to take my own information there. Uh, I don't think that you need Q-tips. If, if you've got a new machine, take that brush as often as it says in the manual, clean the parts that it's talking about, which is usually the hook. But on the other side of that, those manuals are written for you to be able to find someone in your area that knows how to do that stuff, that can take off a few screws, a few panels, and be able to take off the right areas to get inside and do a deeper cleaning. So I say every, every couple years, don't hesitate to take that in. It's going to cost $100, maybe $200, but it's worth it to have that done, especially if you don't want to do it. I love the 6700 because I can take it apart by looking at a service manual. That doesn't come with the machine, but you can find a service manual for pretty much any machine, and it teaches you how to do all the stuff. So take a look at that and decide, can I do this? <laughs> if not, take it somewhere. Can I do it? Yes, but I don't want to do it. Great, take it somewhere because they do. Find somebody you trust, build a reputation, build a, a relationship with that, that company in your area, and you, you'll be sewing faster and, and longer than, than any of the rest of us that are doing our own work. So my final question is more of the MYOG side. What's your next project? What have, you, what have your kids asked you to make most recently? And you know, when you have your next free time, which I'm surprised you have any free time. I can't imagine having kids and trying to sew on the side. <laughs> but what's, uh, what's your next project? <laughs> I don't have free time. I don't have free time. I have, I have needed sanity, right? So when I've been with clients all day, and you know it's 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 that time i i need sanity and i'll i'll go and design draw draw it out or i'm i'm cutting something and usually projects take me a couple of weeks because i'm it it's it's so little time but i don't know what's what's coming up next i i want to make a um the big backpack that i take with me on campouts that's got all of my main gear in it it's not going to be light it's going to be very heavy it's going to be very durable and it's going to look nice Right. I know it's weird to throw that in, but as MYOGers, sometimes it doesn't matter how it looks. It matters how it holds up. Um, I'm going to make a new bivy bag. Like South Texas camping is, is way different than what you guys deal with. You're trying to keep the wind out. We're trying to keep the wind in. Right? How do we get, it's 90 degrees. How do I keep from sweating you know, while I'm sleeping? Um, that's one. I got a day pack I want to make. I already have the design for it but I just haven't made it yet. And I'm coming out of retirement to coach baseball again. So I'm, I'm going to be making a lot of those projects, which I think is a great opportunity because sporting equipment is very heavy for, for the durability of sports equipment, like carrying baseballs around, um, backpacks for the kids to put their bat in, and it takes half a season before those things are ready to be replaced. Awesome. Well, Heath, this has been really fun. Uh, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record point at the end of an episode because I'm just like having fun and be like, oh, this is a great episode. And I say it every time. Uh, so I, I wish I could find more words, but I do want to earnestly say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for reaching out to us and sharing uh, with our listeners uh, the rating scale. But this has been really fun. I have learned a lot. And all the, all the things I normally say, all the cliches are true here as well that um, at a great time. And we really appreciate you coming on the, the episode tonight. Likewise, I, it was such an honor meeting you. you. You may not know that you're superstars, but for people like us, you know, that have this eclectic hobby, um, you, you are the ones. I mean, you're, you're the stars of, of the whole industry. And I thank you guys for being there 
for me when I was new because I had no idea and you were the only ones teaching us how to do it. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, as always, uh, comment, like, rate, subscribe, do whatever it is to show that you like the episode. Uh, let us know what you thought of the sewing machines. Let us know what sewing machine you have. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody. Have a great day, Heath. I right, thank you both. Appreciate it. <laughs>